There are certain days, certain times that kind of get etched into your mind. One of those for me is Thanksgiving night, November 28th, 2013. I spoke to my dad for the last time on that night. Now, brainwaves and science has revealed to us that hearing is one of the last senses that we lose as we die. So on that night when my brother-in-law called me from Beckley, West Virginia, and asked me if if he could put the phone up to my dad's ear, and if I could just assure my dad that it was okay, assure him that it was okay to let go of this life and enter the presence of Jesus. I wasn't fully sure if if dad would even know who I was. My dad had suffered from dementia for several years uh, due to the the, the distance between here and West Virginia and the fact that I tend to work on weekends. I wasn't able to get out to see him very often. I once told my wife, I think I'll be the first one of the kids he forgets. And yet, knowing that they say that hearing is the last thing, I spoke to my dad. I assured him that my sisters and I and our families would be fine. I assured him that he would be in the presence of Jesus, that he would be with mom again. I assured him of that. I had told him it was okay to let go. I don't know if my words landed or not, but I do know that within a few hours I got the call that he had passed from this life. And I began a journey on that night, a journey that for the first time in my life at 54 years old, I began to grasp the concept of joy as it's expressed in the Bible. How often have you heard somebody say, well, the only thing I want is for you to be happy. All I've ever wanted was for you to be happy. And and, and while I get the sentiment, I think sometimes that idea of what makes someone happy is very hard to define. Because happiness is whatever makes the person feel good. Happiness is largely driven by positive circumstances. I'm happy when I get a new item. When I get a new tool for my workshop, I am happy. I want to play with it. I want to know how it works. I want to use it. I'm happy. When I get a new phone, I am happy. I am, I am learning all the ins and outs of that. I'm happy at that. I am happy when my team scores a touchdown. And I am happy when I get a bonus at work. But all of that happiness can be fleeting. That new phone is obsolete within less than a year. By the time you get it, they're already talking about the new model that's coming out. Or it may break. My team scores a touchdown, then the other team scores two. I'm not happy all of a sudden. I get that bonus at work, and all of a sudden, what I was planning to do with it ends up going into an unexpected home repair. Or worse yet, the company decides they're going to do a bonus instead of a salary increase this year. Happiness is circumstance-driven. Now, oftentimes we've tried to divide joy and happiness. And I understand that while joy encompasses happiness, joy is not dependent 
on positive circumstances. Four days later, on December 2nd, 2013, we buried my dad. And in that moment, my circumstances weren't great. My mom had died five years earlier, and so someone had mentioned to me, oh, you're an orphan now. Pro tip, that's not the thing to lead with when someone is grieving the loss of both parents, okay? It's true, I was. My sisters and I were now orphans. As I had mentioned, my dad had suffered from dementia. And, and so I hadn't had a meaningful conversation with my dad for several years. My dad had pastored for over 40 years. And it would have been great at certain times to draw on some of his experiences. But he couldn't remember his experiences. Sometimes he didn't even know who I was. One time we visited them, visited him in West Virginia, Charlene and I were there, and I stepped out of the room, and my dad looked at my wife and said, how is your family? Oh, they're doing great, Dad. What about him? Pointing to me as I'd walked out the door, how's his family? And that's what we dealt with for several years. So all of that had been taken from me. And yet, on that December morning, when we walked out of the church, his casket draped with the American flag because he had served in the United States Army, they were playing Amazing Grace. And in that moment, as I was sad, in that moment, as I was grieving, there was something deeper that I began to sense. And in fact, the depth of what I was sensing came out and I began, as I was walking behind my dad's casket, I began singing, not out loud, but just to myself, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind and now I see. That was my dad's testimony in that moment, there was a fullness in my heart. I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt my dad was in the very presence of Jesus. I knew that my dad's mind was healed and he was fully aware and fully cognizant. I knew that I would see him again someday. I knew that any suffering, any confusion was gone. And I realized for the, probably the first time in my life that I could kind of grab a hold of it that I was experiencing profound joy. We are going through the various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And I told you last week when we started that every week we're going to together read those two verses from a different translation of the Bible. So I want you to join me as we today read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 from the New Living Translation. The words are going to be here on the screen. Join me. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Wow, what a great reminder. 
On the night that he celebrated his final Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus went to great lengths to instruct them. And we find the bulk of that instruction in John, beginning in John 13 and going all the way through chapter 16. And after assuring them, after first of all showing them what servanthood was like by, by washing their feet, after assuring them that he was going to go away, but one day he would come again, after assuring them that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, after reminding them of the importance of remaining, abiding, staying connected to him, all of a sudden in John 15, 11, this verse pops up and Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If we only equate joy with circumstantial happiness, Jesus' words make no sense. He is headed to the cross. He's going to be tortured. He's going to die. Uh, and regardless of the time, he had told the disciples multiple times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be turned over to the, the leaders, I'm going to be crucified, but I will rise again on the third day. Somehow they forgot the last clause. And so their mind was focused on the idea that this grand experiment, this three-year project that they had been on, was coming to an end. How, how can we have joy? And... I believe we can have joy, and today, based on what I understand in God's Word, I want to show you how this second aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I want to show you four facts, how joy is presented in the Bible. And my hope in doing that, my prayer in doing that, is then that you will have a framework for living a life that is strengthened by joy. And my notes just went away. They're back. Here's the sermon in a sentence. God desires for each of us to live a life that is strengthened by joy. And the first thing about a life that is strengthened by joy is understanding that joy is about a relationship, not circumstances. Joy is about a relationship, not circumstances. we got to remember to whom Paul is writing. He's writing to the Galatian church. The Galatian church was in danger of being drawn into some wrong teaching about Jesus. They were being drawn into a belief system, a faith system that was about doing and performance. Not, and the people that came along behind Paul, we call them the Judaizers, they came along and they said, as we've talked to you before, yes, it's important to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, but... You need to have your males circumcised, and you need to do this, and you need to follow these laws. And Paul said, no, that's not it at all. In, in John 15, Jesus was talking about relationship. You know, consider right before the verse that I read. He says, verse 9, John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That's relationship that's the language of relationship remain stay attached stay connected stay involved 
And some will be quick to point out, yeah, but verse 10 is all about obedience. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so people say, see, it's still about the list. It's still about things you have to do. And I want to remind you again and again, Jesus left us with two commands. Two commands. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Two, Love your neighbors yourself. In fact, in Galatians, as we saw earlier on in chapter 5, Paul says the entire law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. When we think about obedience, as Jesus said, I think we need to understand that there is two types of obedience. I call them, and I, it might be original with me, there's relational obedience and there's judicial obedience. Here's what I mean. Judicial obedience is what you do because it's the law, and if you don't do it, you will be punished. You know, if I, if, you know I've, many times my illustration is right out here in front, Geneva Road. It's 40 miles an hour until you cross Gary Avenue. Did you know that? It goes down to 35 once you cross Gary Avenue. I remember when they put that, that reduction in there because there were certain police officers from a certain community just a little bit north of here who are always known for giving tickets, and you could see cars pulled over all over. Wheaton in the city reduced all of the speed limits in the city limits to 25. I remember one day I was playing golf with a couple friends and one of them was late. And we were like, where is he? We got to tee off. And he comes in, he goes, I didn't know they reduced things to 25. I got a ticket. That's judicial obedience. You do it because you don't want a ticket. And what was happening in Galatia, and sometimes what has happened to us in the, in the modern church is we have developed a system of judicial obedience. You know, it's easy to start making things that are heartfelt practices into things you better do. I think it's great to spend time every day in the Word of God. I think it's great to do that. I think it's great to read the Bible. I, I admire people that read the Bible through one all the way through in a year. Nothing wrong with that, but when I tell you if you don't do that, you're not really following Jesus. Now I have taken something that's a heartfelt practice and I've turned it into a human law or rule. And when you do that, there's no joy. There's no joy in feeling oppressed. Rules-based Christianity can get oppressive. Loving relationships are not oppressive. But there's relational obedience. Relational obedience is what you do because you love and respect the other person. It's just a way to live in relationship. Charlene asked me to take out the trash sometimes, or would you unload the dishwasher, or, hey, Scott, there's a spider right up there. Could you get that spider? Now, I'm not going to look at her and go, you know, you're very capable of taking the trash out. I'm busy. Notre Dame's on right now. I am busy. This is my team. Or that spider is more afraid of you than you are of it. Just, just go for it. Come on. No, I do those things. Why? Not because I'm afraid of punishment. It's because I serve. I love her. 
It's relational obedience. The same token, I'm walking out the door. I've got my hands full, and I lean back and go, honey, can you get the door behind me? She's not going to go, what, your arm's broken? You take care of it yourself. Make two trips, you know. <laughs> no, she said, sure, I got it. That's what it is. When we do our best to do something for the other person, it's relational obedience. That's what God is saying here. That's what Jesus was saying. Love me, but carry out this relational obedience. Why? Because joy is about relationship. And when I do things for my wife out of love, and she does things for me out of love, there's joy in our relationship because it's not about our circumstances. It's about a relationship. And when I follow Jesus, I follow Jesus, and I read his word, and, and I pray, and I and I serve others, I do that because there's a relationship that's deeper than my circumstances. There's a joy, there's a confidence, there's a satisfaction that's deeper than their circumstances. Because my joy is based not on how I feel in the moment, it's based on the fact that I have a faith relationship with Jesus. Joy is greater than our circumstances. It's joy is about relationship. But there's a second thing about joy, and it really leads right in from this last one. Joy is a product of simple faith in God. Joy is the product of simple faith in God. My faith in God, my faith in what I knew, gave me joy on that December morning because I had faith that my dad was in the presence of the Lord because I knew what the Bible taught. The word translated joy in the New Testament, it comes from a grouping of words that includes our word, grace. And the specific word that we're looking at talks about both the state and the object of joy. Joy is a product of simple faith, and faith is only as good as its object. You've heard me say that many times. No matter what the object of your faith is, whether it's an animate or inanimate object, if it fails you, your faith is shaken. And when your faith is shaken, you don't have joy or happiness. Let a friend betray your confidence. All of a sudden, your faith is shaken. Let a vehicle not start on a cold winter day, and all of a sudden your faith in your vehicle is shaken. In fact, even after you replace the battery, the next day you're like, is it going to start? Is it going to start? Joy is a product of our simple faith in God. I'm going to camp out for a little bit on another biblical story. Remember, our passage just says the fruit of the Spirit is love and then the next aspect is joy. So we're going to draw, and I'm, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 for a little bit. Joy, a product of our faith in God. In Luke 1, an angel appears, angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah, says, Zechariah, God's heard your prayer. We know you're an old man. We know you, you and your wife Elizabeth have not had any children, but God's answered your prayer. And Zechariah says, no, nah, I don't believe you. And Zechariah can't talk, maybe can't even hear for the next nine months. And yet he goes home and tells Elizabeth, probably writes it out, 
And when she becomes aware of what the angel has said, her response in Luke 1.24 is this. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And then she says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She realized that what had happened was of God. You know, I know most expectant mothers are excited and nervous at the same time. But for someone like Elizabeth who had lived her entire life, her entire life of despair, her life of rejection, judgment, uh, probably even exclusion from part of the community. People would judge her. What sin is in her life that she can't have children? All of a sudden, when God works, her excitement bubbles over because she had been trusting God Year after year after year after year after year. And when God answers, her joy is overwhelming because she had faith in God. Even when her faith was razor thin, when she was barely hanging on by a thread, I believe God saw in Elizabeth a faith that was enough Her joy came from a foundation of trusting God. Remember, it's never about how much faith you and I have. It's simply that we have faith. Faith is only good as its object. So when I talk about faith, I'm not talking about having faith in faith. I'm not talking about keeping the faith, whatever that means. I'm not talking about faith in humanity. I'm not talking about faith in my ability. It's faith in God, the only sure object that I can place my faith in. My circumstances may be less than good. My circumstances may be awful, but when I cling to a faith that God says God is there, when I cling to a faith that I know He loves me because of Jesus... Even if I'm hanging on to that faith by my white knuckles, I can have a joy. I can have a quiet strength and assurance that what I experience doesn't define me. What defines me is my relationship with Christ because of a faith in what God says because joy is a product of simple faith. There's another aspect of joy that I find woven throughout the Scripture. And it's this. Joy has the long view in mind. Joy has the long view in mind. Let me put it this way. Joy is the result of believing that God has a bigger plan in mind. I think that's the point that James makes in James chapter 1. We know that. that, That's a very familiar verse. Some of us have memorized it. Some of us could say it so fast we don't even think about what we're saying. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wait a minute. How can it be joy when I'm going through a trial that's difficult? He explains. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
And then he goes on, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says we've got to have the long view in mind. You consider it joy when you go through a difficult time, not because you're happy to be suffering or happy to be struggling, because you know that there's a bigger picture out there. You know God has a bigger plan. Walking behind my dad's casket, I began to fully grasp in the core of my being that what I was experiencing, the loss, the absence, the sense of finality, wasn't the whole story. In fact, I remember after going to the, we actually, I say we buried my dad. He died in West Virginia in December, skiff of snow on the ground. Where the plot was, the cemetery plot, was about a 70-degree angle down. Nobody's carrying that casket down the snow. I mean, we could have slid it down, but that would have been reverent. So we actually had the final service in the mausoleum, full military rites. And I remember talking to one of my aunts when it was all done. And I remember saying to her, you know, if heaven is is a parallel universe, And if somehow God pulled the curtain back so my dad could just get a glimpse, I believe he stood there erect with a perfect salute as they played taps that morning. It was a bigger picture. You see, the understanding that there's a long view in mind, that there's more to life than what's happening in my experience right now, that my faith in God's Word says that when we are absent from the body, we are present from the Lord, gave me, in that moment, a longer view. That's why I was able to sing out of my grief. The long view gave me joy. It gave me strength. On the heels of Elizabeth's story, We have the very familiar story, the one that we all know, the one that we can talk about, the one of the angel, Angel Gabriel. He was busy that year. He goes and he meets with Mary. And can you just imagine for a minute a 14 to 15-year-old girl, all of a sudden there's an angel standing in front of her telling her that you're the one to bear the Messiah Talk about a mind-blowing moment. Mary's told you're part of God's plan. You're part of God's bigger plan. You're part of the one to bear the Messiah. She heard words that she had heard years ago in the synagogue. He would be the son of the Most High. He would sit on the throne of David. His kingdom would have no end. Just imagine the overwhelming moment for her. A young girl who kind of knows how these things are supposed to work, curious about how things are going to happen. She's told that this is going to be of the Holy Spirit. And her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. At 14 or 15 years old, she believed, God, you have a bigger plan than what I had in mind. I'll serve you. She goes to the only other human being who would understand. And she goes and visits 
Elizabeth, her cousin. And when she gets to Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit comes upon the baby that Elizabeth is carrying that we now know was John the Baptist, and he leaps with excitement. Hey, I remember all three of our kids kicking my wife. I, I, I've, I've watched the, 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 you know, the body move across the tummy. I get it. I can't imagine one of them jumping. I just can't imagine. And, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she makes a declaration talking about how Mary, she's blessed to be in Mary's presence and, and blessed about the baby Mary's carrying and God had communicated through Elizabeth his plan. And these women, the young and the old, the older lady and the young 14-year-old, they realize they're part of God's bigger plan. And Mary, we don't know if Mary's song in Luke is something that she taught, that she wrote later on or that she uttered right then, but it's a song looking forward, a song looking at what God has done, celebrating that. Because all of a sudden, she had the long view in mind. Joy is about a relationship, not circumstances. Joy is a product of simple faith in God. Joy has the long view in mind. And finally, joy is a quiet, humble confidence. Think once again about Mary. Matthew's account focuses on Joseph, Mary's betrothed, the the man she's supposed to marry. Betrothal in the first century was, was, it was a whole ceremony. It was, it was like you were married, but yet not. Because once he was married, or once he was betrothed, then Joseph had to, interesting language, go to his father's house and prepare a room. So that then when the room was ready, he could come through the village with a great celebration and get Mary and take her back to the room he had prepared. Read John 14 with that in mind sometime. When she goes home and it's discovered that she's with child, it is socially, economically, relationally a complete disaster. From all of those standpoints, her life is ruined. Joseph, being a sensitive guy, wrestles because he knows that this... It's not him, and so he decides, as Matthew says, to, to put her away, literally, that would be like a divorce, quietly, to, to say to it, you know, we're not going to do this. Uh, she's going to go back and live at her dad's house and live the rest of her life as a widow with a child, but I'm not going to get married to her. And Joseph gets a dream, gets a visit from the angel, and the angel says, Joseph, are you, I have a bigger plan. you got to have the long view in mind. And, 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 and you know what? We don't know about Mary except that we know that somehow in Mary there was this humble, quiet confidence. And by Joseph deciding to obey God, he then became the object of the friends whispering and family backing away. But when you know that you're being obedient to God, no matter who misunderstands, you can keep going. Why? Because that's the essence of joy. Joy is a quiet, humble confidence that I know I'm doing what God wants and I'll keep following him. And the result of that joy is a strength from the Lord. Many years ago, or many years later, a grizzled man under house arrest in Rome, writing to a group of churches who had supported him financially out of their own poverty, 
assuring them that while he was living in his own house, surrounded by Roman guards, chafing at the wrists with the chains as he wrote, assured him that in the midst of all of that, he was joyful and humbly confident that God was at work. He would say, even the whole Praetorian guard has come to know about Jesus because of my chains. And finally, at the end of that book, the book of Philippians, he gets around to the reason that he wrote. It's to thank them for their gifts. And he would write these words, words that are familiar, words that reflect a joy, words that reflect a deep confidence in God. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. That is the quiet, humble confidence of a man who is in a faith relationship with God, realizing God has the long view in mind and trusting Him for each day. Joy is a quiet, humble confidence. If you have ever visited a person who has a terminal illness and you went there to bless them, and in the midst of your spending time with them, you sense their heart, their faith, their lack of bitterness, and it leaves you feeling blessed when you thought your purpose was to bless them, and you walk away feeling more blessed than what you thought you were going to give, then you experienced their joy. I thought it was interesting today as I was thinking about this, thinking about dedication Many years ago, one of my friends was here. They were staying with us. They, were, they had brought their oldest to go to, to college, to move into college. And he and I were having a conversation. And, and I, I just asked him because I knew I was going to be going through that experience in another year. And I said, so how are you doing? How, how are you doing with all of this? And he said, well, you know, it's kind of like I was given this precious item to take care of 18 years ago. And now it's as if God is saying, it's my turn now. You need to release to me. Uh, I know the family well. They, They parented well. I know the daughter. She was following Jesus. But in the midst of preparing to say goodbye, there was that mix of a little bit of grief and yet, a deep knowledge that this is the right way. Quiet, humble confidence. It was several years later. I sat in a large auditorium with all three of my children and our oldest grandson, who was just a few months old. And it was an auditorium. We were there for a memorial service. My friend's child, almost the same age as my eldest, They'd been friends since childhood, had succumbed to a rare form of breast cancer. And there was my friend on this platform. And one of the things they said is, we're all going to wear white as a, as a, as a color of celebration and as a color of hope, and it was the favorite color of the deceased. And in the midst of grief, 
in the midst of sadness, in, in the midst of the struggle, there was a celebration for this one who had committed her life to Christ, who had, was, was getting ready to go serve Christ cross-culturally. And yet, there was a humble, quiet confidence as they leaned into God. He had no idea. His example as I watched him that day, he had no idea that his example would help me on December 2nd, 2013. My friend wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. But we were full of joy. Not, not circumstances, but something deeper. You see, joy embraces happiness. Don't hear me say it's wrong to be happy. I love to be happy. I had a great steak the other day. I was happy. I love to be happy. Joy embraces happiness, but it's far deeper, far more lasting than happiness. Happiness feels good. Happiness brings a smile. Happiness is for a moment, but joy. The joy that is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, that joy is about relationship, not circumstances. That joy is a product of simple faith in God. That joy has the long view in mind. That joy is a quiet, humble confidence. And God desires for each of us to live a life that is strengthened by that joy. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for examples of, of joy in our lives. Thank you for people who have modeled joy in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to think, to listen, to reflect. And Lord, help us as we look at our own lives to ask you to give us that joy. The joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. The joy that is part of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The joy that is connected with love, with peace. Lord, help us to be people of joy. Teach us what that means. In Jesus' name, amen.